Welcome to the life of Jesus, term 2, lesson 20. What I want to do is go back and just uh, pick up in Genesis 3.13. And let me just read it from there and we'll just follow through from that point forward. So it says again in Genesis 3.13, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. And I said again here, notice what the woman didn't say, and that was, Adam was with me and did nothing to oppose the devil, nor reinforce what you had said, God. Okay? See, he could, she could have said that. He could have reinforced it and said, you know what? God said, don't touch anything. Right? Didn't do anything. And, and she could have also said, what's worse, he's now blaming me and you for everything. That would have really worked, wouldn't it? Because he would have been saying, God, do you really want to listen to this guy? Okay, he's pointing the finger at both of us, and the devil was behind it all. Hello. Alright? And let me just say this as well. Here's another key point. We have to be careful that we don't blame God for the things the devil does. Amen? Alright. So instead, she actually tells the truth, saying, The serpent deceived me, and I ate which the Apostle Paul himself verified in 1 Timothy 2.14, and so exposes the devil for his sin, and thereby opening the door for God's judgment to fall upon him. Now let me stop there for a minute. What we need to understand, this is, this is the place of prayer. Okay, A lot of times, that's the reason why God is saying, I need somebody down here to pray. We don't still understand that God gave us authority and Jesus restored that authority. All right, A lot of it back to us, in fact. All right? And so we need to pray in order for, to give God the access down here to do something. So instead of standing and going, well, if God's such a good God, why does He do anything? Well, you know, instead of saying that stuff out of your mouth, why don't you start praying? Amen. Those are empty, vain words. They're useless. They will do nothing. You are using something that was unique to us, and that is a language that we can use to specifically bring down God's blessing, God's judgment, whatever it is down on this earth, as needed. Amen? As led by the Spirit. Not the flesh. Okay? <laughs> Just want to throw that in there. Alright. So... <clears throat> As a result of this, Satan never forgave the woman. So because Eve opened the door for God's judgment to fall on him, all right, the devil is... See, Satan doesn't forgive. Can we just stop for a minute, okay? He's the opposite of love. Okay, there's God is love, Satan is anti-love. Can I say that? Okay, it's just the exact opposite. So while... 1 Corinthians goes and tells us what all love does, you know, it's kind and forgiving and blah, blah, blah. Satan, if you take all of that and turn it right around, that's the devil. That's right. It's literally an opposite. He doesn't have any attributes of God. Alright, so, moving on. <clears throat> and so, Satan never forgave the woman and did everything in his power to oppose and oppress women from that point on, worldwide. See, he keeps grudges, and keeps them in, and, uh, and keep them in bondage through any and all means possible, and the reason why inequality still exists to a degree all over the place. All right? And it's a funny thing, it's almost hardwired. I've just found that to be true. You know, it's almost, once you get saved, it gets un, you know, like you get reprogrammed. It's the only way I can put it. But fallen man, there's just, it's hardwired. It's just in there. 
They just have that in there. Even though there's all, all the equality is there and everything else. Even in the movies you watch and everything, it just, it's just there in the conversations. And in the way people write, you know, and a lot of times you can tell a society and where they are by the writers. You know, they reflect a lot of times, not all the time, but generally speaking, they reflect society's thoughts on things. Otherwise people can't um, relate to what they're seeing in the movies, they won't go watch it. <laughs> okay, do you understand what I'm saying? Alright, moving on. Okay. So, in fact, Jesus himself prophesies in Genesis 3.15, and this is from the New Living Translation, when he says, from now on, you and the woman will be enemies. Now see, there it was said. All right, He saw what was coming, and he just said, it's going to be on from now on. Okay, <laughs> and the reason for this is clearly seen in Genesis 3.14. Where it now says, And the Lord God said to the serpent, because she pointed him out, man, and so here it comes. <laughs> All right? So notice something extremely significant here. Jesus doesn't allow the serpent to explain his actions. Isn't that interesting? He asked the man, he asked the woman, he turned to the serpent, and he judged it. Yeah. I told you, he knew what was going on. Okay? Alright? So Jesus doesn't allow the serpent to explain his actions because he already knew the nature of who and what was behind this from past experience and so immediately judges him and says to him, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than uh, every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I thought that's interesting. Hmm? Everything it eats has dust in it. Think about the rat it swallows. It's running on the dirt. It doesn't vacuum it and then eat it. <laughs> Do you understand? I mean, it gets to eat dirt and all. Every meal it has. In other words, the curse fell upon both Satan and the serpent, who willingly accommodated this ancient evil, so he could manipulate and deceive the woman, and they would have to endure it forever. And once more, the serpent itself would no longer be able to stand upright, but have to grovel in the dust. And from now on, every meal it ate would be covered in dirt. Verse 15. And Jesus says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Or as the New Living Translation says, From now on, you and the woman will be enemies. Interesting, huh? He says, I'm going to do this. This is going to happen. All right. And what's more, this rivalry will also be between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Alright? The significance of this is that you can recover from a bruised heel but not a bruised head. Okay? This, is, this actually isn't a bruise his head. It's actually a crush his head. And we're going to see this in what Jesus does. It's, it's on two levels. He's not only going to defeat the devil, but he's going to crush his organization. Because the devil is the head of his organization. All right? And that's, that's why Colossians 2.15 is really important that we understand for all of what it says. People have issues with it from a doctrinal point, but you can't take away from what Jesus just said here. All right? That he was going to do that. He was going to make a mockery of hell when he got back there. And it was coming. So, isn't it interesting? As soon as the devil thinks he's got a victory, <laughs> there's God putting fear back into him. <laughs> it won't last. <laughs> and when God says something, the devil knows enough to know it's going to happen. And it's stupid, but he'll do everything now to stop that. Alright. Uh, I could say a lot about that statement, but I, I won't right now. Alright. 
Let's move on. So what so many never understand here is that Jesus Christ prophesied his own return. <laughs> I said a kind of, I'll be back, okay, <laughs> to the devil. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Who knew all too well that whatever he promised, he would do. I think that was really cool. Jesus said, I'm coming back. Come back through this vessel that just crushed you, that just exposed you. I'm coming back through that to crush you. So, the Full Life Study Bible says, this verse contains the first implicit promise of God's plan of redemption for the world. It predicts the ultimate victory for humankind and God over Satan and evil by prophesying uh, of a spiritual conflict between the seed of the woman, i.e. the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it didn't say seeds. Okay, seed, alright. Um, and the seed of the serpent, i.e. that is, uh, excuse me, yeah, that is Satan and his followers, alright. God promised here, and there's going to be an antichrist and so on and so forth. God promised here that Christ would be born of a woman and would be bruised. Okay, through his crucifixion, yet he would rise from the dead to completely destroy Satan, sin and death for the sake of the salvation of the human race. So this is the reason why it's very bad for us to allow the enemy to do anything in our life. Because it comes down now to our choice. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay, it's not like a devil just possesses you and makes you do stuff and then God punishes you. That would be wrong, you know. Okay? It's still our choice. We might be really, really tempted, but still our choice. Amen? And with what Jesus has done, we sometimes need to make better choices. And sure enough, about 400 years later, it happened in a small town named Nazareth, where a virgin named Mary becomes pregnant with the Son of God, and the very person who gave this prophecy fulfills every single word of it. And we're going to see all of that later. Alright. As to the consequences of the action, it says first of all in verse 16. I'd like to finish this today in fact. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply. Now I will deal with this, okay? I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your, con- uh, and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now, what's astonishing about this uh, translation and many translations of this verse is that the words, I will, do not exist in the original Hebrew. You look it up, it's not there. Okay, they've got dot, dot. Whenever you see dot, dot, when you're reading the Hebrew, it means they put some words in there. Okay, so there, two dots means there's two words in there that didn't exist. And the rest of it is, is what's there. Alright, and so, and sometimes it's good. Sometimes, you know, you just read and think, oh, thank God they put that in there, because it sort of makes uh, sense of what's being said. But other times, it's just been not right. Okay? So, which makes it very, it makes it a whole different view then of what's going on if the words I will aren't there. Can we all agree on that? Okay? So it was added by the translator and why the New Living Translation omits it altogether. And simply says, okay, then he said to the woman, you will bear children with intense pain and suffering. So, that's different to I will make this happen to you. Alright? So there's a difference between, you know, you throwing a ball up, okay, and God saying, the ball will come down and hold you on the head. 
if you don't move. <laughs> okay? As opposed to saying, I will hit you with the ball. Dude, you threw it up. Get out of the way, stupid. <laughs> okay, it's going to come back down, straight down. Okay, so that's the difference, and that's the reason why you know I'm so glad the New Living Translation. I, I do take my hat off to them for some things that just nailed it, you know, and they had the guts enough to take some things out, and I'm glad they took the words "I will" out. Because he never said it. In fact, Alan P. Ross in his commentary explains, why am I going through all this? Let me, can I, let me stop for a minute. I am saying this. This is not about liberating women or anything. Okay, They should be liberated anyway. This is about us being... Uh, let me just rephrase this. This is about us seeing God in the right light. He wasn't mad. He wasn't horrible. He didn't say, I will do all this. And then the Bible says, oh, and God is love. And that doesn't gel. The two don't work together. Amen? So I'm doing this to give you the right view of God. Okay? And to understand when you do something, and if God says, trouble's coming, it's not Him making trouble come. It's letting, he's letting you know what the decision you made was a bad one. And it's going to have consequences. It's his way of saying, get me involved. I'll help you. Are you all here? Okay. Let's continue. Alan P. Ross in his commentary explains what's actually going on here by saying, it is important at the outset for the exposition to, ex uh, exposition to establish the nature of these oracles. They are not commandments to be obeyed, but declarations of how life must be. For example, if a woman avoids pain in childbirth, or a man sweat in his labor, they have not violated a commandment. Ta-da! You getting this? Okay, it wasn't God said that this is going to happen, and then you know we built an air conditioner, and went, God... <laughs> okay? Hey man, he gave us the technology to build the thing. Do you understand? Okay? Because it wasn't a commandment. See, again, if we don't get this right, it won't make sense. And then people will say, you know, you, you, you're believing in some outdated religion. And they will be right. In that sense. Do you understand? Your thoughts are outdated. The Bible never is. You've just misunderstood and misinterpreted. All right. Also, he goes on to say that they must find ways to avoid pain and prevent sweat proves that the oracles are in effect. So, they need to do it. Okay, so God is saying, okay, this is coming. You need to find ways to get around it now. Alright, didn't need to before, now you do. Moreover, the oracles are not simply curses. The decrees include provisions for relief and victory as well as the punishments. In fact, the word curse is used only of the serpent from whom the Lord did not seek a confession. I love that. Alright, so <laughs> it's like going to be hot in hell and no air conditioner is going to change that. Okay. <laughs> However, up here, we can work on stuff. Amen? Insulation, air conditioning, hallelujah. Whatever we need, heating for winter. Alright, so with that in mind, let's continue reading in verse 16. And adding what's required for clarification, as Jesus continues to address the woman and says to her, in, I believe, a most sad and loving way, 
that as a result of the curse, your desire shall be for your husband, or literally, you will always strive to find favor in her husband's in, yeah, in your husband's eyes, it should say. I'm sorry. Must have been one of those three o'clock morning jobs. Okay. And instead of being kind, tender-hearted, and loving as the Bible commands, he shall want to be your master and rule over you. All right. That's from the New Living Translation. A part of that. This is basically what, what has happened. Because of the fall now, each one is, will try to dominate the other. And the only problem is one of them was built to, to forgive, to look after, to, to nurture Okay, the other. The other one was meant to use their strength to protect. So, and these are now going to get turned. Alright? So the man is going to use his strength now to abuse the woman. No, I don't say everyone, okay? And the woman is going to use her wiles to get her way. You do this or else, dot, dot, dot. Hello. Are you filling the blanks, okay? Alright. <laughs> and that's, that's for a fallen world. Everything works, you know, for each one using their strengths and, you know, whatever was given to them by God to bless the other person against the other person and for themselves. Okay. In his commentary, Alan P. Ross writes, The significant point about this verse is that it is part of the punishment oracle for sin. Therefore, any man participating in this kind of behavior will himself be judged by God. Can we get an amen on that one? All right. So, in other words, this again, because we have not understood what was actually being said here, Religious leaders have given men the right to behave like turkeys. Do you understand? Because, well, the Bible says. Are you all here? Alright? See, again, we then have a contradiction. Because now we have God on one side, you know, Jesus, the apostles, the epistles, I didn't misspell that, okay? The apostles and the epistles, they're two different things. Alright? Saying that we should love one another, that we should show preference to the other, you know, that we should put ourselves second, and so on and so forth. And then we have this incident in Genesis, seemingly that God's saying, now the man is going to be this, and he's going to do this, and that's uh, it's okay with me. It, it isn't, and he doesn't. Amen? Okay, and that's the reason why we're spending time in this, so that it all starts to make sense. Hallelujah. And what God had to come and redeem, because He saw the state man was in. And somebody had to come and pay really a terrible price to get them out of this mess they were in. All right. In fact, Ross goes on to say, for believers in Jesus Christ, life in the Spirit removes the sting of the curse. So that a much more harmonious and loving relationship is envisioned than that which is declared to be a result of evil in the human race. Amen? Okay, let's continue on. Verses 17 through 19 in Genesis chapter 3, it says, Then Adam, uh, excuse me, then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have knowingly, willfully, and with a full understanding of what was going on, eaten from the tree um, of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake, or more correctly, because of you. 
Okay? So the ground is going to be cursed because of what you did. Do you understand? Again, bad English. Okay, and so that's why I'm correcting things as we go. He says, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So in other words, God is saying now, because you've done this, it's going to be difficult to grow things. Alright, you're going to end up with thorns and all sorts of bad things growing out of the ground instead of the thing that you planted. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed the stuff that you don't want to grow? My God, man. No rain, no nothing, and it'll grow. Meanwhile, you're trying to get this little thing to grow and you're doing everything you can and the thing dropped dead. And you think, really? And next to it, there's this flourishing plant weed thing that grows up. Ta-da! <laughs> exactly. Welcome to the curse. <laughs> okay, alright. Uh, verse 18. He said, well, here it is. He says, Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb, uh, eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Uh, people use that in the funerals. Okay, right. In short, work would no longer be a pleasure for fallen man. I'm on page 13. And one, uh, and one more thing that Jesus came to redeem, all right? And why we need to receive Him as Lord and Savior. See, and that's the reason why, you know, once you get saved, work shouldn't be, a, oh dear God, blue Monday. Okay? <laughs> Find something you like so you can't wait to get to work. Do you understand? Then do something you like, you know? And if you don't have it, ask God to get you something. See, one of the things that I've realized is that we... Let me see if I can share this with you very quickly. We have the mind of Christ. We have abilities in us that we still haven't tapped into. Alright? There are things on this planet that we still haven't learned to do. We, in, a, in a sense, this whole economy and everything, the way things are going, is very money-based. All right, And people have, um, the wrong people, in, to a degree, have decided that this job is worth this much and you, know, you need to do this work to get that money so you can be happy and pay your bills, and so on and so forth. And some of the jobs and some of the things that have come out, if you keep tracing them back, they come from greed. They come from, you know, that's the reason they're always downsizing and so on and so forth. All right? What we don't have right now in an abundance, we have some of it, but not in abundance, are, are things that are fulfilling that pay well. All right? Things that you feel very blessed to be a part of. People think the only place that you can get that is if you go work in a ministry. Uh, let me just tell you, it doesn't happen in the ministry either. Okay? We're all, we're all working in a fallen world. Do you understand? And because we don't have that at this stage, and we're not seeing, you know, we're, we're, we're still kind of growing up our kids to, to become successful in the world instead of to become successful in God. Okay? And if we taught them to be successful in God, it might surprise us some of the things that they start doing and some of the jobs and some of the industries that might form from their connection with God in wanting to help and bless people and therefore start an economy that's going that will create that. So that you get up in the morning and you go to work and you know you're not just going to work to get paid so that you can pay your bills and eat and blah blah blah. You are going to work and doing stuff that's blessing people and helping people and you're getting money for it. 
Hallelujah. So you get, you get rewarded in heaven for what you're doing at work. And you get paid. Absolutely. Do you, do you hear what I'm trying to say? Alright? And that's really what... <laughs> that's, that's the world we would have been living in. Everything we would have done would have been a blessing to someone. Alright? But okay, we're not there. But the potential is there. Remember that Jesus Christ is coming back for a glorious church. That isn't a building with people that are glorious in it. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? We need those patches of glory to take place and happen in the world. As people enter a certain business or an organization, not only is it doing you know, tremendous things for the human race, but people walk in and go, wow, there's something here. Do you hear what I'm saying? Without it being a church. Hello. Okay. I'm looking to do stuff like that as we move. First things first. Have to do this first. Couple of years left. <laughs> you know, I'm saying, God, can I finish this before I drop dead? All right. So anyway, seems like some of these things take forever, but God knows, and God will time this out. But right now, there's still potential. Right now, there's still something out there for you that you would love to wake up and go to work to. The other thing I was going to say was this, and I was talking about this to begin with. When I was at school and I, I was doing bad at my subjects, I hated to go to school. When I was at school and I realized I had the mind of Christ and everything turned around, I couldn't wait to get to school. What am I saying? Right now, wherever you are, in whatever you are doing, you can get God's blessing on it. You can get God's mind on it. You can get God's insights on it. And you can start to excel at it to such a degree that you can't wait to get to work to see what else God's going to do through you, in you, and for someone else in that workplace. Hallelujah. Boy, you know, that's... <laughs> okay, we'll work on that too. But do you understand? You know, you just, we, we just need to get to that place. Where we have the life of God surging through us. Am I there yet? No, wish I was. But we're getting there. At least if we can preach it, if we can aim for it, there's, there's an opportunity. Amen? Okay. Taking more on this than I should. I will finish this today. <laughs> In fact, uh, we're, we're, we're basically there. We're on this page where we're going to shift gears. Alright, and with that, Genesis chapter 3 concludes... With, with verses 20 through 24 saying, And Adam, not God, I need to make the point here, called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And uh, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. All right? And I said, hey, what a beautiful thing Jesus does here. And also how sad it must have been for him to have had to sacrifice an animal to accomplish this. Had to come from somewhere. Do you understand? He knew all the animals, you know. He would have known them by name. Uh, there's something there. I don't want to go there yet. Alright, verse 22. When we do the movie, we'll deal with all of that. Um, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Do you understand why God did this? Because you go see some people in hospitals, and they are suffering. 
And you know, it amazes me. If you're a Christian, go home. Either get healed or go home. Don't hang around suffering. Seriously, there's a better life. You know, but we don't, I think sometimes we don't get it. And not to be flippant with life, but you understand. Amen? And this is what God was trying to avoid. That man would have no release because of the curse that was now running rampant. That his body would fall, you know, to sickness and disease and, do you understand, fall victim to all of these things. And there would be no way out if he ate of this tree. And so he stopped him. And that was a merciful thing. And therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he, Jesus, drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So there are several things to note here. Firstly, it was the man that was driven out of the garden. Secondly, to save all mankind from the living hell of being tormented by sickness and disease, not being able to die, Jesus sets guardians in the form of cherubim-class angels and a flaming sword with intelligence to stop anyone from eating from the tree of life. Alright, that concludes that section. So from this point on, we will briefly look at some of the more notable appearances of the Lord throughout the Old Testament in His various pre-incarnate forms, that means visible and touchable, and to which Micah 5.2 refers when it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose going forths, watch this, are from old, from everlasting. Alright? Now, um, <clears throat> are we good to continue on here? Or do we want to start this next term? Or do we want to give you a little taste? I've got, I've got four minutes. Yeah? You want four minutes? Alright. <laughs> You're all word junkies, aren't you? i got to get my fix. Alright, all right, let's get on with this. Alright, we will, um, we will we'll re-visit um, this. Um, when we come back, because we're going to have a couple of weeks. God bless. Um, and, uh, but for now, let's just have a quick look at this. Micah 5.2 is a key scripture, all right? And it, it heralds and it, it shows us that Jesus Christ isn't some natural person. That Jesus Christ is God. Amen? And just because he was born at a certain time, it doesn't mean that's when he was on the earth the first time. Amen? Okay. So, it announces where he is going to come from as well. There are several things brought out in this verse. Firstly, the commentators of the Ryrie Study Bible explain that the word Ephrata in the ancient name is, excuse me, the ancient name for Bethlehem, and also apparently the name of the district. Both names indicate the fertility of the area, Bethlehem meaning house of bread, and Ephrata meaning fruitful. Alright, so that's interesting. Alright, but of greater significance is the, f- is the phrase, goings forth, which the Ryrie uh, commentators say actually refers primarily to Christ's pre-incarnate appearances, thus affirming the existence of Christ before His birth in Bethlehem. Did you get that? Okay. Also, the phrase from everlasting, everlasting indicates the eternal existence of Messiah. Right? Notice it said from everlasting. That is a term that they generally use to um, indicate a, 
infinite past. Eternity, okay? Like an eternal past. Do you understand? Alright? So, so they use this phrase, from everlasting. Alright? And especially in the light of Habakkuk 1.12, which says, uh, Thou uh, art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One. Alright? So in the, que- in the form of a question, a statement is made. Alright? Uh, this takes us back again to John chapter 1. Verses 1 and 14, which state as stated as fact, in the beginning, or from everlasting, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All right? Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, it's, you know, we'll look at some of these things as well, as we, needless to say, when we get to the Gospel of John, and we look at the life of Christ. But... We need to understand that when it says the only begotten of the Father, Jesus Christ in this, at this point in time was in a very unique way God's Son. Uh, we need to acknowledge that. Do you understand? Today, we're all God's children. Okay? But back then, He only had one. Are you all with me? Okay, now, there is the term the sons of God that are used. Alright? Those are creations of God. Because God's their daddy in a sense, because he's their creator. But the son, we don't see a creation in the son. We're never told of one. Okay, as far as we understand, they all, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, existed from eternity past. What's the explanation? We don't have the intelligence to handle it right now. (laughs) Okay, like I said, think astronaut, think ant. Forget about it. Okay, no matter how much he tries to explain, space flight, the ant will not get it. Okay, so we're kind of not there yet. Alright, we'll know it all. At, at, when we get to heaven, we'll know all the answers. Right now, so be it. Okay. Uh, we, you know what? We have to stop there. I've just run out of time. Uh, we'll pick this up next term. Alright, and we'll look at this in detail. I really don't want to get into it too much because once I start, I don't know where to stop. Alright, and we're going to be... Um, it's going to be interesting to see uh, just how much interaction Jesus Christ had beyond Genesis chapter 3. Alright? In fact, we're going to see his next encounter in the very next chapter. And we're going to see some of the things that he had to deal with. And these are all Jesus. It's not God the Father. It's Jesus Christ. Alright. Let's stop there. Let's pray.